0: Well, hello friends, this is McCall. And I know season one is officially done, but I did say I'd probably have some holiday bonus treats for you. Well, this is one of them. It's an interview that I did with Samantha Housden Ward, the mom of TikTok. My daughter tipped me off to her one night and I immediately fell in love with her kindness, her warmth, basically her energy. So, what did it hurt? I reached out and asked her if maybe I could record a conversation with us. She said yes. So now I am super excited to get to share it with you guys. Happy holidays. So, before we get started, do you want to just introduce yourself?
1: I am Samantha housden Ward. I am considered the mom of TikTok. My at is at monw 0 M-O-N-W stands for middle of nowhere. Zero one and zero two stand for my kids. I used to call them one and two. My daughter doesn't like it that she's two, but she's two because she came second. I use all kinds of platforms. I use Instagram, and then I'm also just launched a show on YouTube channel, which is what I do in the middle of nowhere. I gift toilet paper places. I find outhouses, just fun stuff like that. My biggest platform is TikTok. PSA on parenting, and you guessed it, not gonna be popular. Guess
0: what? I say not gonna be popular because it's not popular among the people who really need to hear it. It's really wonderful. I discovered you in the middle of the night at like three o'clock in the morning. My daughter had sent me some TikTok link that I watched. And then all of a sudden you're on live. And I found you so compelling and real and funny and vulnerable and reverent and irreverent. I was just like, I want to know this woman.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I call myself, what is it, like a uh, conundrum wrapped in a, and I can't even think of the other word, but I'm just like, I'm not. An enigma. And Thank you. I'm a conundrum wrapped in an enigma. I can't even think of the word. Yes, because I have interests all over the place, and I'm just who I am. And I try to be empathetic and loving toward people. And it's a daily growth thing. And so I try to meet people where they are and know that just around the corner, I may be there again. Just because I've gotten out of that valley and I'm climbing a mountain right now, I know that there's always that
0: possibility of hitting a slippery slope And I think that keeps me grounded, you know? The thing about you is you do it with so much bliss instead of fear. It doesn't feel like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're really living your life in this moment for today. And I love that.
1: Absolutely. There was a time in my life where, do you know the short story, The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman?
0: Oh, a long time ago. It's a story of a woman whose
1: doctor husband locks her in a room and she goes nuts because he's basically embarrassed to have her out and she's probably has histrionics I think at that time was probably what she was diagnosed with but it was oral interpreted that in college so I competed regionally and nationally in speech and debate and I did extremely well with that short story on the college speech circuit I had no idea that would become my life I had no idea that at one point I would essentially be locked in a room because my husband was pretty much embarrassed of me. My daughter remembers a time when he wouldn't even let her see me. It was a very strange existence. And so there were mornings when I would be like, God, why did you wake me up today? I had no desire to off myself. I just couldn't imagine continuing to live in a world where I could not be who I am. And, you know, I recently got married and one of my friends said, The difference between your ex and this man you have just married, Brian, is that your ex looked at you with disdain. He was embarrassed to be around you because he didn't like that personality. And my current husband looks at me with pride. He's excited that I am who I am, he loves who I am, he supports who I am, and he validates me as an oddball. But he says things like, Samantha, I really think we need to travel separately because sitting with you on a plane is just not any fun. I'm like, oh, why? Because I like stretch and jam out to music or whatever. And I'm not easy to travel with, but I have a hard time calming my energy, yeah,
0: I'm the same way. I'm usually on 11 and it attracts certain kind of people, but it also pushes certain people away. And for most of my life, I was in this kind of needing attention and so it came across very abrasive, I guess, oh, and I have go. found a place where I am just content and it doesn't seem to push people away as much. So I would love to hear because I feel you in that. I can relate that to you. I shared a little bit with you that I'm a part of a 12-step program. I've got an alcoholic mom and. The steps in Al-Anon asked me to come to believe in a power greater than myself and then give my life and my will over to the God of my understanding. And I always say, I don't understand God.
1: As we each understand that individual, and that's what's important because our faith walks are individual. We may worship in groups often to give ourselves support and to generate that spirit and that excitement. But each of us have a distinct individual faith walk that is never, we are, our faith walks are as disparate as our personalities.
0: And yet, it feels like there's some commonality also when you allow yourself into a space of wonder and interest and acknowledgement.
1: Absolutely. We Fine art, for instance, we're attracted to this area of fine art, but just because I love Matisse or you love Van Gogh or someone else loves Michelangelo, just because we gravitate toward different types of art or things that move us doesn't mean we all don't appreciate or have some kind of sensibility that draws us toward that. And we can communicate in that space because because we understand what it takes to create that. We understand the beauty and the mind and the desire behind sharing what we love and who we are with other people so that they can have a similar response or even a different response. But just it's generating that feeling of I'm alive and I want to share this feeling of being alive with you. And that is also connection. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, a faith journey does is it connects us with people. It grounds us in this spot of I come from a space where I want to love and be loved and accepted and accept others and move forward with positivity and give others grace because we're all going
0: to fall. And now you said the key word for me, which is love. I had so much anger because I had so much fear around love and abandonment issues and feeling like I had to do something to earn love. And if someone didn't give me love, I must be bad. And so shame and blame on others. How did you overcome that?
1: I grew up in an extremely conservative Christian household. I grew up a Baptist, Bible thumping, backsliding into hell kind of mentality where if you weren't saved, you were definitely going to hell. And the definition of saved is asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and come into your heart. And whoa. and so I grew up in that space. And my mother was mentally ill, really. She fought probably bipolar, but her biggest diagnosis was that she was uh, psychotic. She would pop into moments of psychosis and go blank. And then she would get extremely abusive. When my mom was good, she was brilliant. She was amazing. And then this psychosis would pop over her and she'd become this creature that I just, I called them her devil eyes, you know? And so for me growing up in this space where, wait, 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 this is what a Christian is. I memorized my Bible verses. I was a Bible verse champion. I can recite all books of the Bible in 13.78 seconds. That's the fastest I've ever done it. I bet I could do a world record because it's like Genesis X, Leviticus, Numbers, me, Joshua, Judges, I got them all down. That's what I grew up in. And I loved celebrating, you know, I loved going to church camps. And then when I was about 13, I literally, I can still see myself standing there in the living room, flipping God off and saying, are you kidding me? This is my life. I'm supposed to follow you and this woman. I don't think so. And I grew up singing in church and, you know, it got to a point where as a youngster, I sang in the adult choir. I sang in youth choirs. I was extremely involved in the church. And it got to a point where I was like, I can't even sing anymore because the only reason I was singing in church was for my own glorification. It was not to glorify God because I didn't believe that God had a place in my life. Because if my mother was what a Christian was, I didn't want anything to do with being a Christian. And I went on this journey throughout my life of stepping away from a true faith walk. And I rediscovered it really When I went through my divorce, now there were little spots throughout my life. I always believed in an afterlife because that's where my grandma is. That's where my dad is. I came back to, I would spend days, and even after I left this very toxic relationship, of feeling like I was a failure and feeling like I had to make that work. And I'd spend days just listening to Johnny Cash hymns and Elvis hymns and sobbing on my knees. But I knew the second I left my husband... That I had this voice in my head saying, Samantha, you have always been dependent on a man for validation, for security. And there was this voice that was saying, until you learn to be single, until you learn that it's just you and me on this walk, you're not going to make it. You will find toxicity. And I dated and I searched. And then I just went. I remember about February, I was standing in my yard and I said, okay, God. I'm okay if I have to live this life single the rest of my life I'm gonna be okay I'm okay being me and it wasn't a day or two later I was driving down interstate 80 which is the most boring interstate besides I-70 in the United States and my friend was texting me and I was like okay listen I can't text but I think I could swipe left and right so I got on tinder which I know is crazy and I was swiping left and right so my husband I call swipe right guy because I swiped right on him. We started talking a couple days later, went on our first date about a week later, got married a couple months later. And it just was like this whirlwind. But it was because I was in a space where I could give him grace for what he was learning. And it, when I met him, he said, I'm never getting married again. And I said, That's fine. How about this? How about I give you two years? You're worth two years of my life. But I'm going to give you grace knowing you never want to get married. You give me grace knowing I'm looking for a long term partner. And we'll just see how this thing washes out. I'm telling you, even that freedom of that space, just like whatever this is, it is. I'm just going to enjoy you while I'm here.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's the freedom. It's the space that I give another person. I was just talking about this. I have this idea of English muffin intimacy, that the goodness comes in the nooks and crannies between the two pieces. And that is for lack of a better word, where, quote, God resides for me. But when I squish another piece of bread into myself, so we become one piece of bread, neither of us can breathe and we're both stifled. But the freedom of the space where I am a unique and independent, self-supporting individual and I choose you, not I need you.
1: And you know, I look at him and my heart smiles. I'm just like, we bicker, but he is truly this gift that came along at just the right time. And we have struggles because we both deal with exes and we give each other grace through those struggles. And I don't ever go to bed or wake up wishing I were with someone else or someplace else. Relationships aren't perfect, but the key is to find someone who truly makes your life walk a better place, who supports who you are and you support who they are. That's love. Not loving someone despite their problems, issues, whatever, but loving someone because of all of that, because that's what makes them who they are. And that is grace and that is God's love and presence in our lives. I think when we have a faith walk, we are better able to give others empathy and better able to just we don't have any control if there's one thing that i've learned over the years i can't control anything there's only one thing i have control over and that's whether or not i believe there's a higher power and that higher power i don't even have control over myself most of the time i just know that somewhere out there is somebody that i can talk to when i fall down
0: so do you still ever go to church I have a
1: difficult time. I live in the Midwest. I haven't really found a church congregation that I feel like gets me or, you know, I live in an extremely conservative part of the country and I think I need that kind of community in my life, but I don't right now. I don't go to church. My daughter and my son both go. They go on Wednesday nights to youth How group. Old are and they? I think that my daughter is 16 and my son is 18. He's a freshman at UNL. So I'm glad about that because then they have friends whose parents at least want them to hopefully choose. It's up to them, but who at least are encouraging them to be part of a group that's positive. So I like that. But I don't force her to go with me on Sunday mornings. And I just don't, I'm an odd duck. And I just haven't found a congregation. I mean, I live in a tiny town in Nebraska. Where am I going to find somebody that's going to be like, oh, this lady with blue hair just walked in, and she's LGBTQ plus positive, and she's open and loving, and she doesn't want to judge people based on what they wear or their walk of life. And I'm a non proselytizing Christian, so I'm not somebody who thinks I have the answer. And if someone's Hindu or someone practices Judaism or whatever, then it's my job to tell them they are wrong. It is my job to say, here's my life. If you like what I live, you can talk to me about it. I don't have the perfect path. I can tell you what worked for me, but I'm certainly not going to tell somebody they are wrong and the only way that they're going to get it is some kind of afterlife. What I do, the older
0: I get, the more I know that I don't know as much as I used to think I did, ever. I think it's interesting that with the kind of church hurt you have or have had, that you didn't push it all away, that you did allow yourself to come back to pieces, parts of it, and accept
1: And I'm going to tell you, you why. A couple of fabulous grandmothers, and I had a good dad, and I made peace with my mom before she died. And my grandma's brother started a church in the small town she lived in forever. She was the last member of that church. She would go every Sunday morning. The church kind of died out. She would go every Sunday morning, sit at the altar, play records on the record player, and she would worship herself. And she was the quintessential grandmother. She saved by nickels. She darned her stockings. She was more concerned about, she's like, Samantha, it's not so much what comes in the front door, it's what goes out the back. So she saved things and she canned for us. And she showed me love. And she gardened, and she worked the earth, and she sang hymns, and she played hymns. And hymns bring me peace and joy. And even my other grandma, Pearl, God be with you till we meet again. Every time I hear that song, I think of going to church with her. And so I didn't just have one negative example, but she was the one, my mother was the one I spent the most time with, and she was the one who preached. Here's the thing. She was the one who forced Christianity on me. She was the one who preached that you will go to hell if you don't do this. My grandmothers didn't do that. My dad didn't do that. They were walking examples of their faith. And so I try to emulate what the best people in my life did who brought me back to the space of faith instead of emulating that person who made me not feel comfortable in my own skin. So there are religious people or spiritual people or Christians or whatever who choose to stand on a pedestal and say, I'm better than you are because I have this in my life. And And this is the only right thing. This is the only way. And then there are these humble people out there who are like, hey, I'm just going to love on you and care about you. And then they're the ones we gravitate toward. They're not the ones that are saying, I have the answer and you have need to follow me, and we're always trying to solve things. Then there's these people that just provide a safe space to exist and share the world,
0: and I'm not there yet, but that's what I strive to be. I also have a theory that some people who follow an organized religion, like the business of faith, I feel like I sense... And or they display so much fear, like you said with your mom about going to hell, that the joy of living now and the salvation of waking up in the morning, wanting to wake up, because like you, I have had many mornings where I just didn't want to have to open my eyes and get out of bed, just didn't look forward to it.
1: This is how my whole, not my whole TikTok platform, most of my TikTok platform is to tell parents to stop parenting out of fear and parent out of love. And that's where that comes from. When we have fear-based anything, we are squelched and we can't grow. And But if, if we choose our words out of love and if we choose our path out of love, there's very little that can go wrong there. When we're just squelching our children's Oh, I'm afraid you'll never make money as an artist. I'm afraid that if I let you go out tonight, you're going to get drunk or whatever. Yeah. you parent from love and express your concerns and communicate parenting. When a kid is afraid of a parent because they might get hit for doing something wrong, it shuts down the lines of communication. And so that's the metaphor for God. If I'm afraid of doing anything because, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell
0: I'm never going to reach my full potential as a human on this earth right now. You don't want to invite that higher power into everything. The idea that it's all seeing is frightening. A little yeah. boy in masturbation, God forbid, you're going to go to hell. Can you imagine the split uh, in uh, a boy's mind?
1: I know. Or You're going to go blind and, and yeah, you're going to hell. and the whole, yeah, I just but,
0: can't. And as we're you said, human. fear shuts down the line of communication. What God do you want to talk to on a regular basis and have an intimate relationship with that you're afraid of? That, I mean, I think it's, exactly. I think your two marriages are a perfect allegory. You were with somebody who was embarrassed by you, who didn't see the beauty in your imperfection, and you have found beauty in your own imperfection and attracted another person who does the same. And I think that when you worship something greater than yourself, if you can attribute that quality that they love my imperfections, because it gives me a place to go, it gives me something to work on. And so another one of my theories that in some way, asking questions about God, wondering about God, whether it's doubting Thomas. but. Isn't that, or can't that be worship? Acknowledging and asking questions.
1: People say you can only worship this way, you can only worship, you can only pray, you can only go to church, Whoa, 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 no! Anytime you speak the name, whether it's Jesus Christ, and I say that with such humble, because it hurts my heart, when I hear people use that in vain, or God, or anytime you bring a name that you attribute power to into a conversation, I don't care whether you're reading about it, I don't care whether you're studying, I don't care whether you're just like being kind to a stranger, that is worship because that is showing reverence to a power greater than myself and showing reverence to what I believe that power that I call God. I just call him God, the power that can have to bless other people's lives. And I just, worship can be in any, when you watch an ant walk down a sidewalk, that's a form of worship. If you study the way that ant moves and the the weight that the ant carries, which is 50 times greater than its own body weight, right? The, that is, an ant carries a burden always goes back and just keeps carrying it that's a form of worship because we are simply giving homage to a creature that can do that's why when people have a people have strengths right the ant can't do a lot of what I can do but the ant can do something much greater than I could ever do when it comes to carrying a burden and so with people we have to accept their, their flaws and accept their strengths and understand that we all have a place in
0: the universe. That's worship. And I would even go as far as maybe leaving, at least I try to leave judgment out of what is a strength and what is a flaw, because my husband and I are as different human beings as two people can get. The way we go about everything, quarantine, we got into puzzles. Yep. Samantha, my husband dumps out the puzzle turns them all over so everything shows like a normal human being but then picks up one piece and looks at the cover and tries to figure out where in the puzzle that one piece goes he doesn't pull all the edges aside or collect all the colors in one area but as we went through doing these puzzles it dawned on me that combined our different combined, ways yes. of going at something
1: see actually like make knife. it better See, my daughter and I, we do puzzles together, too, and we have a little bit different, like, uh, way we approach it because she always gets the angle that's right in front. She always gets to see the picture. She always gets, That's the angle. I always have to do it from the side. So sometimes, like, I will sort things for her, and I'll get things together for her, and then she'll take off, and she'll look at But we work on it together. But I, I love that because they say, I don't know where I read this, but people's capacity for evil. Is equal to their capacity for good. Often, the thing which so you think about people like the Unabomber, for instance. So his brilliance, he used to for for evil, and but his capacity had somehow that been tweaked. That same gift that made him evil could also have been used in the same capacity for good. So what we see as a flaw or as a a positive trait or whatever, woohoo. That negativity or that positivity, however we see it, that can, it is not always a good thing it's or not force. always a
0: bad thing. It's like however, having the force. Yes. It doesn't yes, mean you're a Jedi. It doesn't mean you're a Sith. You just have the force. Exactly. How are you going to use it?
1: You're exactly right. So me as a human being making judgment on someone else's positive or negative traits or whatever, boom. I, I, my son didn't read. Till the second grade. And I just, I was so worried about him. I had him tested. I was like, oh my gosh, this kid is not okay. But the second he started reading Harry Potter, it was like his brain was so busy doing other things. It was like, I don't have time for this reading crap right now, mom. Just leave me alone. I'll get there. So often what we see in people as their deficits, we don't, we it's there's this thing behind it that's mulling and growing. We maybe don't see this massive burst that's gonna come because they're not ready maybe to show that or display that or whatever. So wherever people are in life, you don't know what's going on inside. You don't know the growth that's happening inside. And it's that thing when people, when you're in the dark, chill out because maybe you've been planted. And sometimes it takes, like asparagus, it takes three years for asparagus to be worth eating. So some of us, it takes a lot longer to bear fruit. And then there are other things that you can plant, boom. Like four days later, you can, like lettuce, for instance. You don't be lettuce, like four days later, you plant lettuce, you're like eating lettuce, right? Some of us produce fruit more quickly than others. And my dad, I, my, one of my favorite things my dad used to say is Samantha, we all grow up sooner or later. It just takes some of us longer than others.
0: Don't judge the pace that someone else is growing up. It's okay, we're okay. Very special woman when I was young, I had been working the twelve steps and felt like once I did my fourth through ninth, I was supposed to be like recovered and have a good relationship with my mom suddenly, like I graduated <laughs> or something and I was very upset because I felt stagnant is I think the word I used at a very young age. I felt just like I had plateaued and it couldn 't get better wasn 't horrible, but i didn 't like where I was at. And she explained to me that she was a gardener, and she said, when I look out over my garden at this time of year, because it was like February, she said, all I see is the yucky Cleveland brown snow melting, but I know that underneath the ground, that's when my bulbs are doing the most work. And yes. that I feel a faith, a confidence, that in a matter of weeks, I'll start to see little green sprouts but yes. the knowledge that they're growing, I don't need to see it because I know it. And that's what faith is. Exactly.
1: Faith is, the, is, is that space we say, I don't have to see it. I don't have to have empirical proof right now. We just have to trust and know that work is being done underneath as humans and that, that God or how, whatever you want to call that higher power is doing the work that needs to be done.
0: And I also think that I have had, I've been real resistant to personalizing a higher power because when people have, I feel like they get very self-righteous and this is the only personalization of God, like Jesus. And I just, as I've said before, I just can't imagine that the creator of the universe, of what was there before anything else intended for us to worship just a human. Even if that human was God, that was more of an umbilical cord or an extension cord to get to the divine. This is just an example of how to live. That's not the end.
1: It's not the end all be all, which is why. So I consider myself a Christian because that's the faith walk that I grew up in. But Christ in the Christian faith is that this is an example of how to live and how to reach God and the Trinity, whatever. But I don't think that God for me manifests himself in all kinds of ways across all kinds of cultures, religions, whatever. I still don't understand the Christian birth. I still are the, the virgin birth. I still don't get it. I don't want to get it. I don't want to grapple with it. So people say, Oh, you're not a Christian because you don't believe in the, in the virgin birth. I don't yet. I might someday, but it just doesn't it. But I, I don't have to, I don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian to follow Jesus's walk on this earth. I don't have to. And everybody says, "You know, talk to people about that, like, how can you pick and choose your Christianity? If you can't believe in the virgin birth, then you can't. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's your issue. That's not my issue. I can call myself whatever I want to call myself. That's me. That's, that's, I just can And I, I don't want to judge anybody else for their umbilical cord to the divine.
0: Amen. It's so true. So how do you, like you mentioned the ants. you mentioned your grandparents and hymn music. How do you worship now?
1: I I have a ton of Bibles. And I, I have my mom's last Bible. And I think my mom, she had dementia for 10 years. And one of the things when she was on hospice care for the last two years, and once a week, this preacher would come read to her from the Bible for an hour. But As she got to the end of of her life, she became a much better human. And one of the things that happened was I had a child. I was the youngest of six. And I finally had, when I was in my 30s, I finally had a grandchild for my parents. And they had other grandchildren, but they weren't in a space, really, that they could do grandparenting. And so when this beautiful boy came along i would go visit them and they helped me my my ex was um in the army and he would get activated and i'd spend a lot of time with them but one of his activations came when ben was five months old and so what i started doing was i would go spend three or four days with my parents i i taught at unk and then i'd go home on the weekends but if during that week they would start yelling or my mom would start bitching i'd like do you see this sweet boy that you love i'm gonna take his and my butt out of here and you're not gonna see us again if you do not stop this stupid arguing it's been 50 years stop it and they got to a place where they're like oh wait I like this kid more than I like to argue or bitch or whatever it is and he has this he had this amazing my son is one of the best gifts ever because he gave me my parents he and I, I cry even saying this because I saw my parents show him love, joy, acceptance. They gave him what they couldn't necessarily give me. And it was this space of, Oh, you are good people. Mom, you are amazing. You just, she didn't have a handle on her mental illness. She didn't have a handle. She was raising too many kids that had too many problems. And I forgave her for that. And my son was this conduit to a relationship with my mom and my dad that I didn't think I'd ever have. And you know what I I tell people, like, don't give up, but it's just that the people you want a relationship with have to be ready to have that relationship. So for whatever reason, they were finally ready to stop just being evil, especially my mom, but anyway, at the end of her life, you know, when she was on hospice for a couple of years, I think that she was grappling with her life. They thought she was going to die. She, she was like 60 pounds when she finally died. But, you know, when this preacher would come and this, this Bible that she had, and he would read to her from that Bible, I don't know if she was just making peace with, with her world, but I have that. I have my dad's green living Bible that he took to, that he took to church every Sunday. And the Bible for me, when I pick, and I love Proverbs. So one of the things I always go back to is Proverbs. My I have a couple personal Bibles. Well, I have a the Life Application Bible is my absolute favorite Bible on Earth. Life Application best Bible. I've got it in uh, the King James version. I've got the New American Standard version. I've got like three or four versions of this Bible, but I love to pick that up. And the the edge of my Bible is like mostly white or a little gray, except Proverbs, and Proverbs is almost black. Because it's the, I know it's Old Testament, but it is, there's so much good news. Like how to live your life is Proverbs. Like really, I, when I'm feeling like I just open it up and I always try to write in my Bible when I open it up. Okay. So I can see where I have been in my head years past. That's why I love physical things that I can write in. I can see my handwriting from 20 years ago and what I was going through and what that verse meant to me. That's how I just, and I love Bibles that have handwriting. i like, my dad's or like, I'll see maybe a, oh, a bulletin from church that he saved from 1977 might be stuck in that Bible. I love Bibles. I love them. And I love the intertextualization. I love reading the Bible, like the King James Version. I love to memorize in the King James Version because it's poetry, but it's not so good at understanding things sometimes. So I will, you know, look a verse up and then if I want to memorize it, I memorize it in the King James. So for me, just, I don't have religious iconography around my house because I never want anybody to walk into my house and see a big old cross and be like, oh, I'm turning around, running back out. But books, I've got tons of books, right? So my Bibles are just amongst my books and sometimes sitting out, whatever. That's not quite as holy cow, this person doesn't like me. That's a learned, that's a seeking, that's that's not throwing something in somebody's face. That's saying, here's this book. Yeah, I read it. It's part of my education of all things in general.
0: What other religions or faiths have you dabbled in any other holy texts or learning? Not necessarily. So what, but what I do is if I,
1: if I find a passage or a message from another of the great books, I will utilize it. People who follow different faith paths, I don't know, but Gandhi, you know, like even his just his little mantras. Like, one of my favorites is be the change you want to see in the world. But I don't know that I think because I have a master's degree in English lit, I am very well read, and I feel like it's not necessarily the great books of other religions that I have that I want to read. I wanna read how other people have interpreted the world based on their religious past, whether it's agnosticism even, or whatever. So like, I take quotes from people like, oh, George Eliot, for instance. My favorite quote from her is, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for one another? Now, you will find that basic mantra in every single religious text possible. You will find that mantra somewhere But she just happened to tweak it in a way that hit my heart. I I can't say that I've read a lot. Like when I was in high school, I remember coming home after studying Islam and repeating the faith. There's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, you know, learning those things. And my mom was just freaked out. I'm like, Mom, listen. The only way you can defend your own faith walk is if you know the arguments of the other side. If you know, or arguments, you know what I'm saying? If you know what everybody else is thinking. You have to understand where other people are coming from so that you can at least communicate in a space, not necessarily to convert them, but to understand our
0: commonalities. The Venn diagram overlap. That's what I'm looking for. And when the people filled with fear and faith that I know personally tend to be Christians I don't I know, see it in it's a crazy. ton of so Buddhists to or I'm a Baha'i. And so earlier you said you're not a proselytizer. Proselytizing. I'm
1: not a, I'm a non-proselytizing Christian.
0: Yep. And I I think my, my comfort zone for a couple decades was not to deal with the idea of God at all. It just was too uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I could understand it anyway. And everybody has their own opinion. And so I just put it in a box and put it on the shelf. And then I always say, if I took it down to open it, then I put it in a boxing ring and we went at yeah, it. That's cute, right? And we come out. yeah. I really did. But I also, my first prayer ever was, fuck you. And I was told, that's okay. It's better than ignoring him. I told you I slipped him off. So I don't think I
1: ever didn't have a relationship with God. It's just that my relationship with God had a much different form at different points in my life. There were, I was always wrestling with God and wrestling with that concept of God and wrestling with, I don't know that he ever got put on the shelf necessarily, but the, the whole unboxing thing, I opened Pandora's box long ago and let everything out and I just, it just flies around. Like my brain is the all the time. So I don't know that there was ever a point where I put him on a shelf necessarily because once the divine or God enters your life, You're going to wrestle with it in whatever way. Once you open that box, you're going to wrestle with it your whole life. Whether you're, I don't care if you're, I don't care what you're doing with it. It may seem, and even this, it may seem like you're ignoring it, but when you have that faith walk in you or those verses in your head is, is you just can't, you can, you can't escape it. You're searching for some answer somewhere, somehow. It just is, it just happens it may take different
0: forms but it seems to always be there yeah i do think that there was a while that i just didn't allow the questions because i felt like i had to find a religion like you feeling like you had to find a church that got you i always wanted a religion to get me instead of me getting it and trying to find any understanding that i agreed with all of it had to fit check my boxes or I had to check their boxes. And so I just, I, I put it, I didn't ask questions. I didn't want to know because I didn't think I, I get, could. I get that. But it's just like the metaphor of the
1: bulbs beneath the surface. Okay. Just because you were trying to avoid those questions, just because you weren't dealing with it at the time, doesn't mean the work wasn't being done underneath. But now that I'm actively
0: tending to the garden, you know, instead of just shutting the door on it. What I always say is I took any faith I had and threw it down in the basement where it turned into like mushrooms and instead of... Hey, that's
1: okay. We need mushrooms, right? I think Pangloss, Or another favorite quote is we must cultivate our gardens. Now, here's the thing. We must cultivate our gardens. The more we cultivate, the more we take care of it. And we have to tend to our gardens. Keep your business out of somebody else's garden. You tend your garden and you're going to have bounty that you can share with others. But keep your nose. Don't be. I love to say this. Don't be stealing somebody else's cucumbers. It's
0: not good for anybody. <laughs> I think that because I spent so much time at the truck stop on the way to Faith, I have been gifted a unique position where I've learned the language of the truckers and can talk to people that don't believe. And the only way that I would ever try to influence somebody around faith would be to just say ask questions look for the mysteries live in the wonder like if you see repeating 11 every time you look at your watch it's 1 1-11 11 or 11 11 right? or whatever it is instead of just ignoring it give it a little bit of space give it a little bit of mystery and interest right? and make it but mean even, something even the what is it it's the it's
1: not the eagle it's not the falcon what bird always shows up to give us a sign me it's hummingbirds <laughs> well the, Left but, and see, right. they, in all kinds of fake oh blocks. the crow what, it's not the crow it's the positive one it's the why can i think of this bird anyway
0: not a dog eagle it's not pigeon. a falcon
1: it's not a dove it like comes in it's just a sign that somebody's there I, you don't have to look at it i can't think right now even that what but whatever it is i don't care what it is for you so something comes in and you see it repeatedly, and. Why? I love to look at what items have meant, you know, different iconography or whatever has have meant throughout the centuries, like how people have used it to interpret their reality. And I don't know that it's like bang on perfectly accurate, but what it does is give you a connection to others and how they have seen that. And it just builds, builds our interconnectivity. And I think until we stop this, you know, this fighting of right and wrong and black and white and I I, I just can't take it right now because the pendulum is just swinging from one side to the other we have to have some kind of base for communication and love and sharing with each other and I think faith our faith walk if we are open to it we can talk to anybody about faith and learn from every single human being I think I've been treated well I've tutored a lot, and I've tutored a lot of Indian families. And these mothers, I'd go into their homes, and they'd call me guru and make me delicious meals for tutoring their kids. And they had altars around, and they explained these. And I was like, who am I to judge that they are wrong? They treat me better than any human being I have met in my Christian faith walk. I'm like, whoa, I can learn some things. And so that's why it's it's just it's just good to talk about our commonalities. How they practice their faith in terms of being good and kind and they give foods to the gods and people like hardcore Christian oh, that's so I like wait, but I don't see you being kind to your neighbor, but somehow you have the answers. I don't You won't think even so. wear a mask
0: because it might hurt someone. You <laughs> won't even wear a damn okay. mask,
1: you moron. Right? right? Uh,
0: <sighs> yeah, they don't mean to judge them either. I guess it just makes my heart sad because I spent so much time in a place of fear and honestly martyrdom Um, as a white female and child of an alcoholic. The woe is me pity party. Oh, get it. I was
1: married to one. Like my therapist told me once I was diagnosed with a ton of different disorders. I was on tons of meds when I left my hubby. I don't take any now, but there was a point where she, my psychiatrist said to me, psychologist, excuse me. I had a bunch of them. I don't know. She said, I don't at this point really know what your diagnosis is, Samantha. I just know that man makes you crazy. And then when I left him and I went to a few Al-Anon meetings, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the pattern of the alcoholic. They make you seem like the crazy one to justify their drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it was this total. Now I didn't keep going to Al-Anon. I did go to a few meetings, But it was just enough to help me understand, because I was getting out of that space, but what it did was just give me a little understanding of what I had been going through. And so I just, I was like,
0: wow, that is so true. The other thing that I also have attended ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, Mm -hmm. and a lot of children of narcissistic parents or borderline or bipolar etc and i yep. think the gift it gave me is i for so long i described myself as terminally unique like you said you're an oddball and i never found yep. the island of misfit toys where i was a part of and i think reading through the laundry list they call it of these 14 qualities of an adult child like Issues with authority, you know, that you either shut down around yep, authority yep. or it makes you yep. get big and and challenge and rebellious. And you know, if somebody yep. gives you a rule, that's the first thing you're gonna do. Right, and that right. I, I related so deeply to all of these. I was like, who's been watching me? And as soon as I walked into one of those meetings, right. I was like, Oh my gosh, I am not alone. Like, this isn't just me. Right. There are people who have the same reactions as I do, but are working on themselves. And when I'm around them, it doesn't feel toxic, but I still feel connected. And most of the people I had related to in the past were living in the toxic, not in the recovery. It's true. Very true. And I think
1: social media, for me, giving voice to a lot of what teens are feeling. I remember what it was like to be in that space. I remember what it was like to not be heard. And I say things that they wish they could say. And this is related to what you're saying. And that social media for me has given me a chance to relate to people all over the world who've been through similar things. I have to realize I'm dealing with people who don't there are levels people who have no idea they need to be recovered people who recognize it but aren't there yet people who are recovering people who i don't know if we're ever completely recovered but all these levels so i get hate from a lot of people who just don't want to admit that they need to do some self-examination and some study and realize life could be better if they just admit that maybe they could tweak it a little bit so there are all kinds of levels and so it's hard sometimes not to get beaten down by the people who i don't know 200 duets a day with moms flipping me off. Cause they don't like what I'm saying. Even though I come at this from like a total space of love and acceptance, like here, don't hit your kids. Oh, duet that video and flip me off. Cause Oh, looks like you're the person who needs to hear this message. It's just bizarre to me that people even argue a oh, thing that hurts me is I have millions of followers based on the fact that there are hurting children out there. Do you know how much that breaks my heart? Like my message resonates with millions of people who kids Teens who just want to be treated with respect. Like that's the heartbreaking thing is that my message is resonating because kids are hurting. And that's a little bit sometimes hard to grapple with, you know, and I'm hoping, you know, they say, oh, we're gonna be great parents because you, I'm like, be careful. It's hard to break the cycle. It's hard to break that cycle. So be careful because what happens when stress hits you is that you revert back to parenting that you knew. I know I was a toxic parent for a couple of years when I was going for the, through the divorce and my parents were dying. I reverted back to this evil monster on this hilltop telling my kids, I know the right way. And my son said, I'm not going to take this anymore. Mom didn't see him for nine months. And we went through this total. Like he calls me now; he'll talk for two hours about stuff because he's a freshman and at UNL and we've repaired that space because I changed. He didn't need to change. I had to change. And that's what parents don't get most of the time. When our kids are acting out and being assholes to us, is because we, most of the time, not always, most of the time, is because we are being jerks first. And if we lead with love instead of fear, if we are positive and reinforce our kids with love and not beat them down for mistakes, the, there there are no there are not two people on earth I would rather spend the rest of my life with than my two children. I would I, if I could be now. My son, I'm I have to kick him to the other side of the island for a few hours every day just so we can have our space because we're so much alike in terms of hardheadedness. headedness But, you know, I enjoy my kids. And that when people say, ooh, the teenagers, yeah, they stink. But there are moments that you go, oh, precious, you are amazing. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're my kid. Well, if you don't ever have that with your kid, you are doing something wrong. Like, and I say, I know I try not to be judgmental, but I'm just saying, dude, d- that's truly... You need to examine yourself because the kid is fighting you because you're just not keeping the lines of communication open. You're not showing them love and acceptance and positivity no matter what they're doing. Well, I think
0: it's basic math. If you're A and anyone else is B and C is your experience of the relationship, you don't need to change them to change the experience. You just got to change A. If you change you... The experience yep. of the relationship will change if, an, it if they adds, don't change at all. Right. It will. Ex- if you just change yourself and you know, it, it will, it will change the outcome. It's just,
1: I don't know. But it's again, just, it comes back a, to amazing.
0: wonder and doubt and asking questions. If I know the answer and I'm clear that this is the answer. I don't ask questions to keep checking. There's no, it's not a but hypothesis to- that this is the answer. But now we're back to a
1: a basic tenet of the Christian faith walk or the walk with God, which is we are to come as a child. And children don't know everything. So, everything,
0: you know, no matter what we do. And they're not too busy to lay on their stomach and look at the ants. They're not so preoccupied with what's gonna happen tomorrow and what do I need to do to make sure tomorrow's good and how did I screw up yesterday and woe is me and the shame and the guilt and the blame, they're in the moment. But even your
1: experience with your children, get off that high horse and come to your child, come on their level, come to them as a child. What can we learn? How can we experience this together? granted we have to have rules and regulations in the household which people don't understand i have rules right i have to as a parent set that up because i have better life experience but that doesn't mean when i'm communicating with my child i come at it from this i get on their level and we have a conversation like and it helps too if you express something like okay is this how you're seeing it you know if you try to If you communicate like, this is how I think you see this. How do you think I see this? If you try to put yourself in the other person's position, it helps the communication because then you can see their viewpoint. That's the main thing that's missing from our communication today is that we are not allowing ourselves to step to... My grandma had this thing, walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins, which I know supposedly is appropriating these days, whatever. But that's the idea is that you walk in somebody else's shoes for a while and you'll understand their pain, their heartbreak, even their positivity, even their view, whatever.
0: Just try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It helps with empathy and it helps communication. A lot of times you said, that's my whole message. I would like in a nutshell to kind of hear your message. My message to
1: people is that we have to be in everything, lifelong learners. And we have to be open to change for the better. And I think that just sums it up. If we are and I think that just sums it up. If we are willing to learn from the ant walking down the sidewalk. If we are willing to learn from our children. If we are willing to learn from adults. If we are willing to just say, "I can learn from this, the world will be a better place." Because that takes away the fighting. Just be a lifelong learner. Never stop learning and keeping your mind open because that's where the walking a mile in somebody else's shoes comes from learning because the more we learn the more empathetic we become the more open we become the more communal we become and the greater enjoyment we get out of life period be a lifelong learner whether it's your faith walk i don't care what it is just learn don't stop learning ever and that doesn't mean going to college it just means being open to expanding your mind in any direction that you, you know, use the Monta story method, explore what keeps you engaged. It doesn't matter where you go. Just learn, just keep learning and be open, be open to learning. Come you have to as ask questions, you, ask questions, come as a child who's asking when, where, why, how all the come as a child to whatever it
0: is you're learning without a preconceived notion that I have the answers this doesn't preach I love you so much I knew I would I knew I'd connect with you
1: this is my soul again I just want to shout out my channel at MONW0102 you can find me on almost any platform and I'm in I am I am different manifestations of me on different platforms. You'll see different aspects of my personality. I also have a podcast, but I never post there because I never have any dang time. I'm like so busy. But anyway, this has been excellent. I appreciate this blessings to you and your work and all that you do and hopefully we can talk again and maintain contact with me yes let me know when the podcast is up i'll be interested to see how you piece it into whatever else it is that you do on the podcast so how i put the puzzle together (laughs) you know what here's my insecurity too anytime i get done with something like this i still at 50 i'm like okay did okay, are you okay? You go, you're you okay. You know what I'm saying? There's still that self-talk, right? There still has to be that like, okay, you are not a moron, you know, that self-talk of you did, f- you know what, whatever you said, let it go. I, even at my age, I said, let it go. You, the, the number of people who hear it and get something out of it, or the number of people who are supposed to, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly.
0: You just yeah, share yourself so with the do world it and-, and hope for the best. Suit up, show up, and then let it go. Just be in the moment. And your moment now has something else. So you go make it a fantastic day. Have a beautiful day. Lots of love, Samantha. Thank you. Bye-bye.